Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome home to the No Parents Podcast. Each week, I share my recovery story of losing both of my parents to help others normalize their thoughts on grief. Hello, and welcome home to the No Parents Podcast. My name is Elise Parkinson. I am your host. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm just someone that has gone through both my parents being gone. Losing both of my parents is what I meant to say. I also wanted to apologize. Um, A couple of my past recordings have my cat crying in the background. Um, I can't promise that's not going to happen because it's a cat. But just wanted to mention it. I'm not really proud of it, but it is what it is. And most podcasts have some noise in the background, so it's, it's whatever. Today's episode... I wanted to give a trigger warning for, um, this is going to be about caregiving. So if you are someone that has taken care of someone or you know someone close to you that has taken care of someone or maybe you wanted to take care of someone but you couldn't and someone else had to take care of them, this might trigger you. I just wanted to warn you because, um, I'm going to be honest here. This is an episode that I didn't want to record, um, It's something that I really don't like talking about, but I think that it's something that needs to be heard. So here we go. Um, So there are a lot of things about caregiving that you might feel. So if you are in those shoes and you are continuing to listen to this episode, you may have felt regrets. You might have felt a really strong connection with the person that you were taking care of. You might have felt loss. I mean, obviously, but loss of self which is really big for me. I think that, like, once my mom died, I was like, wait, now what's my purpose in life? I've been taking care of her for three years. Like, what am I doing now? Um, I found it hard to sleep. I found myself eating a lot more, but also um, sometimes not eating, but that didn't last too long because I love food. You might miss their stuff. Um, I miss When I say miss their stuff, I mean, like, their medical stuff, like, seeing their band-aids around and, like, you know, their syringes and things like that. Like, you might actually kind of miss that stuff. Or if you see it and you haven't cleaned it up yet, it might make you really sad seeing it because it's like, why do we have to do that at all? Um, But it makes you feel certain ways. So I'm going to start from the top of the story. Basically, I've already told part of this story in a different episode, but um, I was at school... I knew that morning that my mom basically wasn't feeling well. She looked six months pregnant, and we were like, what's going on? And she's like, I don't feel good. I'm going to go to the hospital. And I was at school, and we didn't know anything was wrong with her. It was just a normal day before we found out about the cancer. And um, I went to go call her during my lunch break, and one of the security officers took away my phone. And I was like, no, no, I'm calling my mom. She's in the hospital. And they're like, no, you're not, blah, blah, blah. And I was so mad. It was like actually the only time I was on my phone for, like, a legitimate reason. Um, noodles! (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, that's noodles. And, oh my gosh. I'm gonna take him out of here. Hold on. Alright, that was noodles. So, basically, anyway, went to school, got my phone taken away, and when I got home, um, Basically, it was really confusing. You know, my mom was, like, talking to my stepdad. My stepdad got home, and I didn't know where anyone was. I didn't know where anything was. Like, they took my phone away and wouldn't give it back at the end of the day. Even though I went to the office and said, like, my mom's in the hospital. I need my phone. They were like, yeah, right. 
you're a liar, high school, whatever, like, then nobody believes anybody. So, um, yeah, I didn't have a phone for, like, three days. So when I got to the hospital, I went with my stepdad, and I basically just slept there that night. And when I got there, I, like, expected to go see my mom. She just had surgery, emergency surgery, actually. And if they didn't get there in time, her colon would have burst, and she would have died of, like, fecal poisoning. And um, the doctor came up to me, Dr. Choi, and he basically told me, your mom has cancer. It's really bad. It's stage four, which means it's really aggressive. It's traveling fast. And we pretty much got most of it out of her body, so she should be okay. And, you know, it's going to take a while. You know, she is in induced coma, so she is sleeping uh, for a couple days. And I was like, what do you mean she's in a coma? And they're like, no, we, we put her in a coma. She's not in a coma. We put her into one. It's an induced coma. You know, I was only... 16, 15, 16 at the time that this happened. So I don't know what anything is. I don't know what an ICU is. Like, I kind of know, but like not in the way that you should, you know. Um, then she had a couple days later, I found out when I went to the hospital that she had a second surgery. And I was like, wait, why? And she had a really bad infection that happened. Um, so I just kept thinking for days that like my mom's gonna die. Like, that's all I kept thinking. And I think that's the fear with a lot of people that take care of people is that, like, you just never know when, like, when it's going to change and when it's going to turn and, you know, what's really happening inside of their body. So my brother and his girlfriend at the time moved into my room and my grandma moved into the house to take care of my mom and my mom stopped working and we couldn't get a home health care nurse because it was just way too expensive. So I actually had taken care of someone before. My mom had a friend that um, her car flipped over five times and basically she just came to live with us and I took care of her and she had, you know, a three inch deep wound on her arm. She had a paralyzed arm um, and she just lived with us. We had a pretty big house, so I just took care of her for a while. So the home health care nurse came over, which I already had experience with like saline and heparin and pick lines and, you know, wound care. So, I mean, I was, I did that when I was like 13 or 14, actually, I was pretty young and, um, I kind of had an interest in nursing, but not anymore. <laughs> I think that taking care of someone kind of ruined that for me, my mom, not, not the other woman. Um, but a home health care nurse came over, and I had prior experience, so she taught me, again, about pick lines, salines, and hepferins, and, um, not hepferins, hepferin, <laughs> and, you know, my mom also needed saline, hepferin, shots, vacuum-sealed wound, you know, I, um, had to take care of her medications and timing and bathing, dressing, brushing her hair, bringing her food, my grandma did most of the food, um, driving her to appointments, cleaning the house, keeping my mom safe. Um, there was a time where our basement flooded and my mom tried to walk into the flood and I was like, mom, you are on chemo right now. Like you do not need to be in this dirty water. Like what's wrong with you? Like she <laughs> just like, I was like, I'm fine. And I'm like, you're not, you know, but, um, just things like that. Like you really become like their, their caretaker, like for real. It's not just like, it's not, it's not just like, coming home and being like, hey, how are you? It's like you're literally, like, in charge of their life, and it's a lot, and you have to kind of care for them more than they do. 
but my mom had chemo radiation. She was really sick. She threw up a lot, you know. Um, we constantly had to adjust her food. Like, there were times we'd make her dinner, and it just wasn't sitting well, so then we tried to make other things, and it wouldn't work, and it's it's really, like, it's a process, you know. You have to figure out what works for the person that you're taking care of, so it's, it's, it's a lot, and it's stressful, you know. I mean, when I tell you I was only 16, like, I'm still in school. You know, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. every day just to take care of her and do her, like, morning um, wound change because she had surgery, so she had a scar on her stomach, and so I took care of that. Um, and then, basically, I would do that in the morning, then my grandma would feed her, and then in the afternoon, when I got home from school, I'd have to come home from school, take care of her, and then go out with my friends. Um, it was a lot, you know, and, it, and it's, like, also kind of, like, if you are young and you're taking care of someone you love, like, everyone else's, your friends are, like, living this normal life of, like, just being a teenager, and you're like, I have to go home and take care of my mom, and it's just like, what's wrong with your mom, and you know what I mean? It's it's just different, you know? It's it's very different, and I was never, like, embarrassed or anything. I just felt like I don't, I hate having to explain this every time I go do something, you know? All right, mister, get down. My cat. It's better that he's in the room with me than out of the room, because then he screams the whole time. Stop it. I love you. Um, so I would really cry a lot at night, like when I would go to sleep, and I just kept thinking like the fear of like, you know, my mom's gonna die and and I and I kept thinking I heard her crying too, which I'm sure every now and then she would cry at night, but like I used to walk like really quietly. We had a, a pretty old house and I knew where like all the little creaks in the floor were, so I would avoid them and try to silently walk as close as I could to see if I could hear her crying, but every time I got close, I didn't hear her crying, and I, and to this day, I don't know if it was, like, in my head, or, like, you know, I, I don't know, like, it's just, it's the weirdest thing, I don't know, but, you know, that's when I started to have my own body pains and worries, um, I would space out in class, you know, on the morning, the morning that I took my ACT, that was, like, two days or one day after I found out that my mom had um, cervical cancer. So originally she had colon cancer. That's what they knew about. But the tissues came back um, and you have, okay, so your body has specific tissues in it. So like your lungs and your cervix have the same tissue and like your intestines and your, I don't know, maybe your kidneys, I'm just making that up, have the same tissues. So with the cancer that they found in her colon, they knew that the tissue in her colon had either originated from her lungs or her cervix. So we thought that, oh, for sure, she has lung cancer, like she's been smoking, blah, 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 but it turned out to be cervical cancer. And um, so we found out, I found that out like two days before my ACT. So I took my ACT and a really good score, I think is like a 32 or a 36. And a really bad score is like a 15. So um, I got a 17, which I'm not stupid. I just, you know, I I did struggle in high school a little bit, but like, I don't think I deserved a 17, to be honest. And so I took it and they were like, you need to get the score higher. You can take it again. And then literally, like, I want to say I took it again, like two months later. And literally the day before I took that ACT, we found out that my mom actually had bone cancer, which is like... Pretty much if you have bone cancer, like, that's about it for you, unless you're getting bone transplants. Like, you pretty much know that your life is on a time limit, you know, and it's not 
probably not going to get better. I hate to say that. That's why I wanted to tell you that this episode might trigger you. But um, I took that test and I learned a new technique before taking the test that you read the questions first and or you read the answers first and then you read the question. Because I think that um, when you have the question, the answers in mind, the question makes a lot more sense, which I struggle with, like, reading comprehension. Like, I'll read something a hundred times and it won't even go to my brain. I'll just be like, what the hell did I just read? Um, And I got a 21. So I went from a 17 to a 21, which um, I still don't think is, like, the top of my brain. Like, I think if I took it today, I'd get, like, a 28 or at least something, like, 30, maybe. I'm pretty, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I just, like, I don't know, whatever. Why do I feel like I have to justify that? But no, really, like, she just got diagnosed with cancer again, so I didn't give a shit. But the ACT company actually called my house and said there is no way that she could have gotten a 17 and a 21. That score jumping is unheard of, and we don't believe that it was actually her that took the test. And my mom was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I, I have cancer. Like, my daughter, she is struggling right now. You can talk to her school. You can talk to this. You can talk to the social worker at school. So I think they actually had to do that. Um, but yeah, they didn't believe that I went from a 17 to a 21. And, and I, you know what? I, it just kind of pisses me off that they make it impossible to jump like that. You know, like, that's kind of sad that they're like, oh, we know that this is very the score is predictive and no one can get higher than what they got the first time. Like, what a shitty test. But anyway, my teachers were helping me. Um, I was learning about cancer too. So like I would go on Google and probably scare the shit out of myself with WebMD and, um, you know, any ache or pain, I probably thought I was dying too. Um, also my dad died unexpectedly in his sleep. So anytime I had like a headache, cause he had a cerebral hemorrhage that, um, like popped a blood vessel in his brain. So anytime I had a headache, I basically just like assumed I was dying. <laughs> it's just a fear you have with caretaking and losing parents. But um, I was learning about plastic too, which like, okay, so plastic basically, I don't know if they changed the process now because now bottles are like BPA free, whereas at the time they weren't really. So when they melt plastic bottles, they take the plastic and it's like a small ball and then it becomes really big into the shape of a bottle and then they immediately pour water into it to cool it down and then it solidifies and it keeps that shape. So as the bottle is like solidifying with the cold water in it and the plastic's hot, the plastics go into the water and then the water becomes cancerous. At least that's our understanding at the time in science at that day, because I know one day we're probably going to laugh at what we know now, um, or at what we knew then and what we know now. But um, I was just learning about, you know, cancer and the cells and the frequencies, and um, it, it was just a lot. Like, it was so many different things that go into cancer and the way that it spreads, and um, basically a tumor, I learned, starts when, so your cells replicate millions of times per day, And you get a tumor when your cell replicates incorrectly. So your cell kind of splits, but it doesn't split correctly, so it causes a tumor. At least that is my understanding at the time when I was 14. That is what I knew. 14, 16, sorry. When when I learned about cancer, that is what I thought was valid. I don't know if that still holds up to this day. Um, I try not to read about cancer because it makes me really upset, so... That's what I thought at the time. I don't know. Correct. Uh, fact check me. <laughs> I don't know. But um, 
you know, I was looking into holistic approaches as well, which my mom started seeing this Chinese doctor and she said that like he was giving her these pills and these teas and all this other stuff. And she actually felt really good. I don't know that it actually um, helped her, but I know that it helped her mentally, which they say that if your brain is mentally in a good spot during a caretaking process, that you actually have a higher chance of surviving and you have a higher chance of feeling better and just like fighting the disease because when your body has all these stress hormones, just like we do with grief, it's really hard to fight uh, the things that your body's going through. And I think that this is um, actually something I'm realizing this moment as I'm speaking, but like when I'm stressed about grief, I find it like I'm pretty sluggish and feeling shitty, you know, all the time. But when your body feels good and you have all this like herbal medicine in you, you feel pretty good. Um, I know that also, too, like, my nurses gave my mom prayer bracelets, which she wasn't really religious, but I saw her starting to wear them more. So I think, like, towards the end of her life, she really was kind of a little bit more religious, like, thinking, like, you know, maybe if there is a God, like, maybe I should ask him for help, you know, things like that. Um, And also, too, like, my mom, she didn't want to shave her head. She wanted to, you know, remain, like, beautiful and just keep it, not that you're not beautiful without hair, but, like, she wanted to remain her feminine image of having hair, and, um, you know, so we started to look into, like, wigs and hair pieces, which my mom never, like, wore a full wig on her head. She just had, like, this, um, ponytail attachment, so, like, she would put her hair back in a ponytail, which is, my mom never wore her hair in a ponytail, but, um, she just felt more comfortable that way. So she would wear her hair in a ponytail and then she would add this like little attachment that made her hair look thicker and it was made out of real hair. It was really pretty, but it was like $300, which hair, hair is very expensive. So, um, there actually are foundations, um, in Chicago, probably in other cities too, where women give away free hair pieces. So definitely check into that if that's something that you run into. Um, but I felt really bad and I thought about shaving my head too. My mom was like, do not shave your head, blah, blah, blah. Like you need to keep your hair. Don't do that for me. Um, I also have like a flat head, so I don't think I'd look too good, but, um, she had to go back to the hospital after some time because she got sick and she was really delusional. Like they gave her Dilaudid, which pretty much like I don't, I don't know how to describe Dilaudid. If you've ever had it, you're probably like, whoa, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she, one day I was in the, the hospital with her and she goes, Elise, where, where are the numbers to the bed? And I was like, uh, what? And she's like, where are the numbers to the bed? And I was like, well, you're in room 414. And she's like, no, Elise, where are the numbers to the bed? And I was like, what is she talking about? She is tweaking out right now so I look under the bed I move the blankets and I was like oh they're right here I was like don't worry they're right here she goes okay good good and I have no idea what she was thinking and I told her that like you know when she was normal again (laughs) she's like what are you talking about I was like you did that and she's like oh my god and I was like and you also asked me why there's bunnies in the clouds in the pictures and you made me cover them up so I had to like, there were bunnies in a picture on the wall. So I had to take a, I asked the nurse for a blanket to cover up the pictures. And she's like, we do this all the time. I was like, why don't you guys just get new pictures? Like, oh my God, like what a nightmare. Um, But yeah, so 
My sisters, my stepsisters, they also lost their mom to cancer. And I know that, I want to say that um, the final thing for their mom was that the cancer had went to their brain, her brain. And she started to not remember things properly. Um, And when my mom would have those like delusional days, you know, where she was on those crazy medicines in the hospital, I worried. I was like, what if it's in her brain? You know, I just kept having those fears. Like when, when someone you love has cancer and you start reading things and you start hearing about things that other people go through, that's why I said this episode is triggering. Like it's not, it's not always good to hear about. So, um, it really causes some anxiety. So eventually my mom was back home again and she pretty much said, like, you know, I have cervical cancer, I have colon cancer, and she also had, um, lymph node cancer, like, lymphoma, um, bone cancer, did I already say that? I don't know. But, yeah, it was pretty much, it was everywhere. So, she heard about this thing called the Rife Machine, which I don't know if any of you have heard about, but it's pretty cool. Um, the Rife Machine was invented by Royal Raymond Rife in the 1800s at some point, and pretty much everybody that had cancer that used this machine, it was it cured 10 out of 10 people. So it was a very highly curing cancer machine. And the government basically would come around and they would say, you're not allowed to have this machine, it's not safe. But, um, but it, it really does work. So basically the machine has a noise to it and it would beep. It sounds like a fire alarm kind of, it's really loud. It's actually pretty annoying, but, um, it does that. And then it also shoots like electromagnetic waves at you, which sounds dangerous, but it, it was fine. Um, and the sound frequencies would kind of, attack your cells. So all of your cancer cells, whether it's like colon cancer or intestinal cancer or like lymphoma cancer, um, all of those cells, they are operating at a different frequency because our body is electrical kind of. So it would attack those cells at different rates. And we got this machine that was $5,000, pretty expensive. And my mom would use it every day. And then she went to the hospital to get her skins and they were like, your cancer is disappearing. And they had never heard of it. And they'd never seen anything like it before. And my mom had so much hope. And she had so much, like, just joy in her heart about it. And we also got the Kangen water machine, which is um, a water machine that you attach to your sink. And it basically takes the water and... this is more popular today at the time this wasn't like you can't buy this at the gas station you can't like you know now now it's like there but at the time it wasn't so she would you'd turn the water on it goes through the machine it like electrocutes it or or I don't know what it does (laughs) it shocks the water with like 10 different plates and it changes the water to being 100% alkaline which alkaline basically means, like, when um, healthy babies are born, their body is, like, 100% alkaline, meaning that it's born without any sickness. So it takes, you basically, since your body is, like, 70% water, the idea is that if you drink enough of this water throughout the day, 
way that your body will become alkaline and your body won't have sickness in it. So she was doing that and the Rife machine at the same time. And then doctors were like, whoa, like we've never seen anything like this. You're getting better. And to be honest, I really don't know if that's really what happened because according to some of my family members, they're like, no, she always had cancer. She was never in remission. I think she lied to you. So I don't really know if those things worked, but I know that there are thousands of trials of people using both of these machines and actually living to this day. So um, I know that there was a time where my mom stopped using it, and that was kind of like, my understanding at the time was that she felt like she was in a good place and didn't need to use it anymore. I was young. I didn't know if I was older. Now I'd say why are you not using that anymore? And I'd be really aggressive about it because I'm kind of pissed off that she died. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's just how I feel. And um, she told me, you know, good news, my cancer's in remission. And I said, like, what does that even mean? And she said the doctors have no explanation really as to why it's going away. But I think it's because of these machines. And um, she was really happy about those machines. But, you know... We went to my mom's friend's house. We would always go to her lake house. And uh, we were riding jet skis, literally, like, just riding jet skis, having so much fun. And I knew my mom wasn't feeling so well, but, like, I also knew that she just really wanted to have a good time. And then, you know, my mom got more sick, like, every day. And, And I don't know if my mom's friends knew that my mom's life was, like, on some kind of time limit, but she died six weeks later. And I remember her saying, like, I just remember her saying, you know, there's a doctor that can possibly do one more thing for me. Because her cancer just came back out of nowhere. Like, it was like, by the way, I have cancer again. And I was like, what? And I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know if, I just don't really know what happened. Like, it was like she was fine and then all of a sudden her cancer was back and it was worse. And and it was just really sad to talk about, to be honest. But her doctor said there there is one more option, but the doctor is out of town for a month, and I don't really know if that's true either. Like it just feel it just feels like every time you really need a doctor, they're just like conveniently out of town. Um, and it wasn't an option anymore at that point. And my mom stopped eating, and she fell in the night going to the bathroom, and I and I knew she was going. Like I called my therapist at the time because the same therapist that I just graduated from which I'm sad about but uh I told him I was like I don't think she has much longer to live and he said how do you know did someone tell you and I said no I just know I was like I I feel like I just know when people are dying I think it's something that I I just know I said "I, I bet she probably only has about a week and she really did just have just a week and um I just told her, I said, you know, you fell last night. And she goes, nobody heard me screaming and crying. And I said, mom, you have to sleep downstairs. You can't sleep by yourself anymore. You have to sleep in the living room or something like, um, and she was hallucinating and she thought that I was trying to kill her. And I tried to give her a straw to drink out of because she was like so weak. She didn't even want to lift her head to drink water. And she said, no, the straw has cancer. You're trying to kill me. You know, it was plastic and we knew about plastic. So that wasn't good. Um, and then 5am, my stepdad was like, like screaming, coming into my room, like, Elise, help me, help me. And he never asked me for help like that. So, you know, right around 730, there was an ambulance that my mom said she couldn't see, she couldn't hear, she couldn't feel her legs. Her blood pressure was like, 
47 over 60. I don't remember anymore, but it was like like drastically low, like just dangerous. And that was the first day that I had a panic attack, which I've talked about in other episodes. Um, And just sitting at the ER and family was visiting and just making a choice, you know, like two days later, uh, we sat with a social worker and in some room that I didn't even know, like, no one prepped me. No one said, like, hey, we're going to go talk to this social worker and, like, decide what to do with your mom. They're just like, we're meeting with the doctor. And I was like, okay. So we were sitting at the table, and literally they asked, like, they were asking my stepdad, you know, like, what would you like us to do? We have we have a couple routes here. We can let her do, ho- ho- like, hospice at home, um, or we can have her do it here, which would be a lot less painful. And basically just saying like, how would you like her to die? Like to put it bluntly, like, how would you like her to die? And I'm sitting at the table like, what? Like, what are we talking? Like, what the hell? Like, why didn't anyone prep me for this shit? <laughs> like, what the hell? So, um, we did decide to let her go, which was something that my mom actually asked for. She said, you know, if I'm not going to live the rest of my months happily. I don't want to live at all. I don't want to put you guys through that. She said that. So I didn't feel too bad about that choice because I knew that it was like, there's no other choice. It's like, this is the end of the road for her. Um, And we had to make that choice that, you know, were we going to keep her alive for us or were we going to keep her alive for her, which really either way, it was like, we shouldn't, we just got to let her go. And I think she literally died like maybe two to three days later. Um, And it's interesting because I have this friend Scarlett that I met through Sun Palace, which is like this crazy little hippie community in Chicago. It doesn't exist anymore, but um, they're the kind of people that go to Burning Man. And I don't know, I ran into Scarlett and she's a therapist and I just like, I don't really know if she knows how grateful I am for her. I have thanked her a couple times, but I don't know. You can never really thank someone the way that you feel like you feel grateful for them. And, uh, she told me, she said, you need to tell your mom how you feel before she dies. And I, and I was like, well, she's in a coma. There's no point. And she goes, you need to tell her how you feel. So I sat there and said something like, I don't even have it in my phone anymore. I deleted it one day when I was drinking, I was pissed off. Um, and I basically told her like, you know, I'm mad at you because, you worked so much, which I'm grateful for, and I understand why, but we missed out on a lot of family time, and it's just, like, you can't, you can't fix that or replace that. You can't, you can't change that, and one of my mom's regrets, like, she talked to me, like, a month before she died and said, like, you know, I don't want you to be sad when I die. I want you to be happy that I'm not suffering anymore and kind of crying right now. You can't see it, but, um, it's hard to talk about. But she told me, you know, when you have a funeral for me, I don't want it to be a funeral. I want it to be a party. And I just kind of told her, like, I I don't know how I'm going to celebrate when you die. Like, that's not exciting for me. And my mom couldn't hear anything I was saying. Like, she was in an induced coma. And I told her, like, you know, I'm going to take care of Brandon and I'm going to make sure that he's okay and I'll always watch over him. And, um, we didn't know when she was going to die, but she literally died like 15 minutes after I told her that. And it's interesting too, because 
like the last words my mom ever spoke were to me and I said I love you and she said I love you too and I feel like not a lot of people get that closure but I did and it's like I don't know I just love it like I thought about getting like I love you too like tattooed on me but I feel weird about tattoos now I'm gonna do a different episode about tattoos um but yeah she died on August 15th 2013 and I turned 20 the next day so afterward um her man guys I just want you to know this is hard to talk about like right now I'm like squeezing my fists together like I'm only telling you this because I know like some of you guys do this shit too so I'm squeezing my fists together I'm sweating I wasn't sweating earlier I am sweating. I feel like I am not breathing. Like, I feel like my breathing is very short. I'm crying. I have tears on my face. Like, I, I just need you guys to know this because this is grief. Like, this is what it looks like. Um, But yeah, so the after effects, you know, I had nightmares for years. Like, for probably three, four years, I would wake up screaming and crying or running even. Um... I would have so many nightmares about death and, like, dead bodies and about just, like, what else would I dream about? Like, it's everything. Like, I would dream that, like, I was dying or that I would see my mom and she'd be normal again, but not, not like, the same kind of normal. Like, really, like, weird looking, but trying to be normal. You know what I mean? Um... Also, too, I had a different episode about this, but, like, my mom had a vacuum-sealed wound on her stomach, and it got a little infected, and I don't want to gross anyone out and make them not eat chicken, but, like, it just grossed me out, because I also found my cat dead, and I saw my cat's spinal cord, and just, I don't know what it is about those two images in my head. I couldn't eat chicken for, like, three years, and it was so gross, and sometimes still really is disgusting to me. I just started eating chicken again. Um, I would eat chicken from a restaurant, like, if it was prepared for me, but I couldn't cook it myself. Like, just touching it was, like, not, not good. Um, but I just started cooking chicken again, like, a year and a half ago, maybe. And it's not always easy. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes it's the smell of it that gets me. I, I don't know why. It just, I don't know. Just something about it. I just can't. And, you know, if I'm at the hospital, even just for, like, it could be anything, like, if I'm at the hospital for anything, just going there to see someone, or just going there literally to get blood work done for, like, a different thing. If I hear those hospital beeps, they they really fuck with me. Um, also, like, if I want to hear ambulance go by, it just, like, makes me really sad, and I just hope, like, the person inside doesn't have the same fate as my mom. And uh, chicken marsala was, like, one of my mom's last meals, which I think it was honestly, like, at that point, we didn't know what she was going to eat, so we just had, like, a ton of different microwave dinners, which is not how we fed my mom. Like, please don't think we fed her microwave dinners at the, all the time. We just didn't know what she would eat, but chicken marsala, I can't eat it. Like, just looking at it makes me really sad, and eating it, it's, like, it's not even that good, to be honest, and I just don't think I even enjoy it. Um... But the conga machine and the rife machine, you know, just seeing them and hearing about them, like, I told you great things about them, but sometimes I'm just like, is it bullshit? You know, like, 
was my mom actually getting better? Did she lie to me to make me feel better? Like, you know, did she lie to us to make my brother feel better? Because my brother was, like, at college the whole time at NIU, and I just think, like, I don't, I don't know, I want to interview him and ask him how he feels about what he was going through on his end, because he wasn't really home, but, um, yeah, just the smell of latex gloves, like, I, I hate it, and, you know, I worked in hospitality for a while, and ended up being allergic to latex gloves, thank God, because I hate touching them, they make me very sad, um, just the smell of caring for someone, like, there's a smell to it, you know it, if you're taking care of someone, and when you smell that smell, it can be in a hospital, it can be, like, at someone's house that's being taken care of, you know that smell, um, it's a thing, and it sucks, and, you know, you feel alone, and you feel resentment, and burdened, and angry, and sad, and confused, and, and for so many years, I wondered, like, did I do enough, like, is it me, did I, is there something I could have done better, is there something that, if I had just done more research, could she be here today, and basically just kind of going through that, and I hate doctors, like, I think that we don't get enough time with our doctors, at least I don't, I have a lot of listeners from Canada and the UK, um, in America, I don't know about where you guys live, but in America, when you have an appointment with a doctor, let's say your appointment's at one o'clock, you get there at, like, 12.50, and you probably wait until one thirty to go back into the doctor's office, and then you get, like, seven minutes with the doctor, and then, they, you pretty much actually, sorry, you tell everything to a nurse first, and then the nurse tells the doctor, and the doctor comes in, and they're like, oh, is this what the nurse said? And you're like, yeah. And then the nurse, or the doctor's like, okay, um, well, let's give you medicine. And you're like, I didn't even really get to tell you everything, like, what the hell? And then, um, that's about it. Like, you get, like, eight minutes with your doctor, and you wait, like, 50 minutes to see them, and it's, it's ridiculous, and I just don't feel like, I, I feel like, they're, like, I'm not, hating on doctors. I think that doctors are great. I just think that the way that they are asked to conduct their business is ridiculous. And I've actually had doctors say, like, I've I've called my doctor out before. I've been like, wait, I don't really feel like I've been able to talk to you, like, sufficiently about this. Like, what do I do? And she's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're on a time limit, this and that. And I'm just like, I fucking hate advocate medical group. <laughs> like, no offense, but yeah. Um, I hate it. So I hated doctors and I, you know, my dad died from malpractice. Like it was Christmas Eve and, or it's Christmas actually. And my dad went to the hospital and they were pretty much like, uh, yeah, you're fine. Like you're, you're doing great. And if they literally just did a CAT scan or like an MRI, they would have, like my dad would probably still be here today. Like just the level of care in our country is, it's like super expensive and shitty Um, so I hated our healthcare system. I felt lied to. I felt lost and I couldn't get the image of my mom's body, like the, the, how skinny she got out of my head. Like it was just a lot. I, I still kind of see it now. Um, it's a little more faded now and I hope that like in the years to come it, it will go away, but I don't really think that it's going to because it's very traumatizing to see someone that you love like that. Um, but what I've learned, you know, if I have to spin it to the positive is that I'm proud that I was able to do that. I'm honored to be the one that could take care of her. I'm glad that I was the one to do it. And I'm glad that she was comfortable and that she had me because she did, you know, specifically request me 
to take care of her after time. You know, she was like, I want Elise, nobody else, like, just send Elise in to help me. Um, and I know she felt bad, and that was one of the things that I said to her before she died was that I do forgive her, and I understand that, you know, she didn't want things to be this way, that she wished that she could do more with us, and um, I'm just sad that she couldn't be here longer, but I'm grateful that I had her as long as I did, and I would do it all over again, and I hope this doesn't destroy you hearing this, and if you've cared for someone like this, I am sending you a huge hug, um, with boogers in my nose. <laughs> I don't want to be this way, but this is grief. This is what it looks like. Uh, and that's the best thing that you could have done for them. And I love you all, and I thank you for listening. And the next episode is going to be about grief in movies. Have a great week. I hope that you're okay. Message me on Instagram if you need a friend or a hug. I am happy to help you. If you have questions, please ask me. Um, I really do love all of you, and it's honestly been such a great experience having all of your support and being able to support you as well. And I will see you next week.